Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 115 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book four, The Crystal Shard, chapters 26 through the end of the book before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Welcome to the book wrap party. Hello, everyone. It's book wrap party time. Streamers. <laughs> my one of those Zuvu Zela. <laughs> one of those one of those shitty things where you hold it and you just spin it and it just goes. Yeah, they were desperate for party favors back whenever that was a thing. <laughs> what kind of lunatic like? <laughs> what what kind of lunatic like? Sat down in, in a room and, like, chain-smoked cigarettes being like, what's the fucking handheld thing I can make that's loud and obnoxious and horrible and also is a surface to put a brand name on? <laughs> I was probably watching a jug band and someone was going at the washboard and he's like, I can top that. <laughs> well, anyway, as Rob said, parties are a thing in the past. We're all solitary creatures now. There was one time when this podcast was done with two men in a, the same room breathing on each other all hot and close not not a foot and a half of, away from each other's faces just sharing water droplets all over in, our... in a sauna so that water wasn't going anywhere but into us yep into our respiratory systems and all it of was that. water tight there was a fug yeah, yeah. Guys, because because you guys can't hear light you can't hear the face i'm making which is, you know, one of contempt and disgust. So, unless Mark Singer is one of our listeners or one of our viewers. That's an old joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's start the show for real. For realies. All right, do you have any housekeeping? No. Good. Let no, us I don't. let us just start then. Uh, where does that Where do we begin today, Rob? Well, we're going to begin, Doug, with chapter 26 rights of victory. I'm going to begin with the summary of said chapter. Please do. I'll listen attentively. Wolfgar struggles to enjoy the celebration of his victory over Heifstag. As the new king of the tribe of the Elk, Wolfgar must endure the reintroduction of traditional feasting after the crowning of a new king. After testing his mettle against the strength of not one, not two, but three barrels of ale, Wolfgar hears the news that Ten Towns is under siege and promises an equal share of the treasure from Icing Death's Horde to any man who follows him to fight Kessel's army. So they're going to make a real Kessel run. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anywhere to go with that. I'm no, sorry. you don't. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you sit and think about what you did. You sicken me. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> I mean, have you been waiting four episodes to do that? No, okay. no, I didn't. I didn't. It didn't occur to me until you said a run for Kessels, and I went, "An idea." I didn't say a run for Kessels. <laughs> you did. You didn't say they were going to make a run for Kessels. You no, just I said, said that. I said followed him to fight Kessels' army. You said they're going to oh, make a real run I for Kessels. Smarter than I thought. Are you? <laughs> yes. It sounds like you're barely existing between neuron firings. <laughs> Look at that! Look at that! <laughs> That's some bullshit! <laughs> you didn't see nothing, man. I was. Did she not? Did she not know? 
I don't know. She saw me sneak out to the car and come in with it, but I could have just been cleaning things. You're sneaking to the garage to smoke. This is ridiculous. (laughs) It's not smoking, man. No, it's all natural. Much worse. (laughs) Because, like, it's just, it's just one. No one. It's not gonna hurt. It's It's just, just it's gonna keep me loose. (laughs) Mama needs her magic juice. Oh God. It's your it's your keep me up all weekend water. <laughs> it's good for you. Antioxidants, man. Yeah, no, it's it's just like eating a pile of blueberries. That's because because that everyone finds obnoxious and, and off putting. <laughs> oh, you can't even keep hear at it. this. It's great. What does that have to do with anything? It's, oh no, I let me put it this way. I can hear it every <laughs> time you talk. <laughs> it's it's loud and clear. You wanted to talk about Wolfgar's Kessel Run. Oh, yeah, I did. That's me. I did. All day. <laughs> Too bad she doesn't listen to the show, because... Uh... So, in case anyone hasn't picked it up yet, because we've been talking around it, Rob's drinking mate. Uh, oh, it's his... It's his... Uh, his devil's lettuce that <laughs> makes him... Uh... It, it's like my... 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 That's not going to work. My no, gummy I, berry juice. Sure. It's for those of you who want a more rational comparison, it's um <laughs> it's his uh water on a mogwai. It is his uh <laughs> It's it's his <laughs> It's his drinking all of the ooze at once and becoming super shredder. Um <laughs> Oh, you insolent turtles. <laughs> So yeah, that's what that's what we're I guess in in for. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's you're building book... this up. I'm gonna be so calm. It's the book. People are gonna be like, "What the fuck was Doug talking about?" I'm it's, on your side, guys. It's the book wrap party. I guess you can let loose a little. You've earned it. So Take my hair down. <laughs> so let's just continue to move forward. Did you have any notes in that chapter? Not at all. Good. Me neither. Let's move on to chapter <laughs> to the next chapter. Okay. Oh right. <clears throat> Chapter 27, The Clock of Doom. Summary. Brunor plots a second attack on Kessel's army that camps on the ground above the dwarf's kingdom. Dritzt awakens from his battle with Urtu and decides to keep Guinevere around because only the cat can see the secret door in the crystal tower where no creature of the material plane can. Regis is chosen by the remaining spokespersons of Ten Towns to act as an emissary in the false surrender of Ten Towns to Akar Kessel. Mm-hmm. Using the gem he wears around his neck, Regis is able to pacify the uh, warring wizard into accepting a sit-down to hash out the particulars of the transition, all the while planning to sow seeds of doubt about the crystal's power in Kessel's mind. I have a couple notes here. Do you have any notes? I have a couple notes. Mine is, like the, is it's literally about the title of the chapter. The Clock of Doom? The Clock of Doom. Tell me about your notes. Uh, my note is that this chapter's title uh, closely resembles a Goosebumps book title, the mm. Cuckoo Clock of Doom, which was published on my seventh birthday. It was actually published on your seventh birthday. Published on my seventh birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks. I got a Goosebumps book. <laughs> Wait, you got it the same day it was published? I, I don't think so. I don't know if I've ever read that book, but oh, I knew I knew of it because its title was great. Sure. 
I may own it now, and I just don't know it. Not a lot of clocks in this chapter. Uh, not at all. I don't They're think just there's saying a it's a ticking clock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the whole wizard, the incompetent wizard angle, to the extent that it's fun to have a villain who just is a doofus. Yeah, a smarmy neophyte. Yeah, it's 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 kind of fun. It's 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 a little novel. I mean, he is being puppeted, but he's still basically the main antagonist. So I enjoy that. I thought Regis was used really well here. Um, and then my other note is a observation on a piece of writing. Do you have anything else before that? I have a well, yeah, I have, I have a note on the second page of the chapter. So okay, um, it actually is an observation on a piece of writing. Also, okay. So page two seventy two, mm. uh, the line on this page that reads: "A poor man is more deadly than a rich man because he puts less value on his own life." Um, I feel like there's a version of the sentiment Salvatore is writing here with which I would agree. Yeah, but but not arguably in the way, a poor man would find life far more valuable. But not in the way that I think it's written here specifically. Yeah. There's yeah, I think that perhaps you could argue that there's no one. No one deadlier than a, a. I think that you can make the argument there's no one deadlier than a rich person. Like rich people will literally send poor people to die for nothing more than the prospect of furthering the rich person's enrichment. They will I, they will purchase lawmakers' influence and mm-hmm. like send people send more poor people to die in wars on the off chance that the rich people will become richer because of it. Like so so to me like. Perhaps the perhaps a desperate poor person is more dangerous. I think I think that's what it is. I think he's 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 mixing it up with the aphorism about desperate people backed into a corner. Right, but like fighting like maniacs, and I think right. it, he's he's kind of mixed his metaphors. Yeah, I think I think again, like the the idea that like maybe maybe a desperate poor person is more dangerous to you one on one. Because they have less to lose in a physical confrontation. But that's just, you know, desperation. That's not, has nothing to do with whether they're rich or poor. Or, and it has also nothing to do with their value of their own life. Right. Like, which is what the, the thing that he's pointing out. And I think that that's like a very, it's just like I said, it's, it's a weird bit of writing that I think I know what sentiment he's trying to get at. Mm-hmm. But like, it just, it just comes off like off. It just comes off wrong. Mm-hmm. But like I've been in situations. This isn't. This is not a. This is a complete anecdote. But I've been in situations where, especially when I used to ride the bus to get around town, where I would have to be around people who were like vagrants at bus stops who felt threatening and and were scary. And part of that threateningness was the realization that like they don't have much to lose necessarily from assaulting me if they need, if they wanted to, if they chose to like right. the, an, an arrest for them is going to go far, like less far in, in like impeding their existence than being attacked would by to me. Right. And so like, it's, I, and at least that's how I remember th- Like, and I, I till this day will like, if I, I don't do very well hanging around uh, the unhinged, um, like I've been around a couple, like I remember once I was at a, a, a we, have, we have a local donut shop that's open really late. And I remember being there with friends at like one or two in the morning, Un, a mentally unwell person came in and started talking to us about nine 11 and about what was and wasn't an inside job and what, 
And then, like, the way that a, a person who isn't mentally well, the way those conversations go is, like, very fluid and their connections are seemingly arbitrary, but to them, they have all the conviction in the world. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's a really scary thing because you don't know, for me, it's really scary because I no, don't absolutely. know where it's going to go next. And But what I do know is that I would rather not be around it. So what I end up doing in those situations is just vacating as quickly as possible. Because again, like I find them unpredictable and therefore exceptionally threatening. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just a personal thing. It's not a, a, a comment on any one aspect of any of the aspects of people I described. It's not. I'm not trying to make a generalization on any one of those counts. I'm saying for me and my experience, I don't enjoy those situations and I avoid them. But that's what it reminded me of the things that Salvatore was saying here, except for the parts that were just the wrong words. He just right. he, I think he just used the, some of the wrong words there. But it really struck me that he put that in there but i think you're right i think he was going for like a there's nothing more dangerous than a mama bear protecting her cubs right kind exactly. of thing um but like he he said a poor person doesn't value their life which is just <laughs> it's also it's a little like it's a little like oh speaking from privilege kind of position like a person who probably doesn't really know what it means to be that poor or that desperate going around talking about what that existence is like for those people and it just seems shitty do you have any more notes in that chapter? I do. Mine is a another possibly mixed metaphor, or maybe I'm missing something, and you can help me out with it. Uh, this is around the bottom of 277 onto the top of 278. Cassius and Regis are talking. Try to see if I need to go back at all. I'm just going to start mid-Cassius. Believe me, as I am your friend, that I would not ask you to journey into such peril if I saw any other possible path. A pained look of helpless empathy had clearly worn through the spokesman's earlier facade of rousing optimism. His concern touched Regis, as would a starving man crying out for food. Yeah, weird. Like, why? Uh, why his concern touched Regis, as would a starving man crying out for food. I mean, I can't help but being literal. And You're talking about the crying man's concern? Like, is that how it's supposed to read? Like That doesn't... No, it's, it, 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 the way it's reading to me is the starving man's touch. The concern oh. touched him like a starving man would, crying out for food. I guess if he's pleading and grasping at him, but concern doesn't. Really I, I think act I think it's, it's more very I, fucking I, okay. So the, I think I know exactly what he meant to write. Okay, but I can also see that how he wrote it is can be interpreted many ways. But I think what he meant to say is he, the concern touched Regis in the same way a starving man's cries would touch regis oh shit see that actually makes sense and i could not put that together on my own yeah thank you no worries yeah it's just gonna just you know get get a get a get a reader man just throw those words in a in a blender and then put them around each other until they make sense get a proofreader that's all i'm saying any more notes uh no let us advance chapter 28 a lie within a lie Summary. Regis plants seed of doubt about which minion tribes were truly loyal to Kessel in the wizard's mind, causing Akar to adjust his battle plans and suss out the treacherous warriors. Meanwhile, Dritzt and Guinevere infiltrate the Crystal Tower only to find themselves in Kessel's throne room's antechamber full of trolls. I don't have anything really. Nor do I. Um... This is kind of a... We're getting from A to C, so we got to go through B chapter. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I feel like there was a handful of, like, sort of fun, like, oh, this is how a D&D trap would read if you were to write it. Or, like, a puzzle would read if you were to write out a puzzle. But, mm-hmm. like, because there's this whole thing in this chapter about, like, Dritzt having a ticking clock about finding the secret entrance into a car's next room and it's like a mirror that isn't a mirror it has a painting in it or something or like a tapestry yeah that has in it, it a reference a... to a thing that dritz knew about when he was a kid and that's how he knew how to figure it out and it's like all the while the demons are coming up the, or the trolls are coming up the staircase and it's just like it's a clever enough puzzle it was not engaging to read though i don't yeah it, it part of it was clever the part about it being like take the shape of the image and that will unlock the door is clever. The how you get to that isn't because it's no it's, exactly inventing all this new mythos that we're throwing in just to justify the puzzle, which right. isn't the same as good writing. Which you probably should have been dropping clues on a lot earlier. So by the time we get here, we go, oh, I know what's going or, on. Or literally, again, literally have any demons in the first three books. Sure. Like like any demons, any talk of demons, any interactions with demons, with the drow underdark denizens, like any of that stuff. To justify all of this, lots of this uh, drow and demon culture is inexorably linked that we get from this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's because the, the the shape that Dritz has to take in the tapestry to unlock the image in the mirror is, or the door in the mirror is the shape of a legendary demon hero that was killing an elf or something in the image, but like it's slightly different in the picture than it is in the myth. So Dritz figured out that that's was the, that was the key. And it's just all this stuff. Well, that, I mean, again, there's is... also the bit about him having to grab the reflection of the handle, but not the handle itself. Right. That's I like that part. I no, thought that's, that was, I thought it was no, a that's cool not the part idea. that's not fun. The part that's not fun is all the stuff where it's like, no, you absolutely. have to buy You're into right. this idea that the demon relationship with the drow is, significant and important when it is a new introduction in this book and not addressed in the prequels. No, there's a lot of, yeah, we can talk about that in the sum up, but you're right. Uh, I don't have any more notes on this chapter. So how about chapter chapter 29 other options? What a thrilling title summary. Brunor and his dwarves assassinate a thousand goblinoids before Wolfgar and his cavalry arrive to assist the king under the mountain. Dritz solves a few entrance puzzles before squaring off against a car kessel and destroying the crystal tower with a bag full of flour. The drow escapes after Kessel, who dove into a mirror portal to an undisclosed location. All the while, the uh, crystal tower crumbles around Regis and Guinevere and the other trolls within the tower. Right. Um, well, I really only have one note here. Although I did really like the using the mundane flower to completely dampen the power of the crystal shard. That was cool. That's fun. But um, my note is, we've talked about it before. I don't remember where you stand. What color is uh, Brunor's beard and hair? My impression is that it is, uh, as was defined in... Uh, sojourn it is red with white and gray like pattern okay or streaks that's fine then they just referred to brunor's red beard and i wasn't sure where where we were on that i couldn't remember what you said no my my memory is at the end of the at the end of the the third book it's referenced very clearly that he has a a a red beard that has been like grayed with age or something like that sure 
or streaks of gray, something like that, in his in his orbish beard. It's salt and cayenne pepper. Mmm, that's pretty good. Really? I like that a lot. Okay. Uh, then I have no other notes. Let us move forward to... I'm sorry, I have other notes. Oh, well, that was a, an outright lie within a lie you just told. <laughs> that's the wrong chapter. I wouldn't know, because I don't know where we are anymore. Page 295. Okay. Am I supposed to read that? No, you have to read it. I just want to... If you want to look it up... What am I looking up? Um, hold on. It's not my book. I couldn't just write in it. Well, that's what I wrote. I'm sure somewhere in here they <laughs> mention... <laughs> Shut up. They mention Wizard's Light. What is that? Is that a thing? Yeah. Um, but the fearless trolls crowded in. Normally, Dritz would have known of their presence as soon as he entered the square chamber. Their terrible stench made it hard for them to hide. These ones, though... <laughs> hadn't actually been in the chamber when the drow entered. As Dritz had moved deeper into the room, he tripped a magical alarm that bathed the area in wizard's light and cued the guardians. They stepped in just... through the magical mirrors that Kessel had planted as watch posts throughout the room. Is that just light like the drow have dark? I think is it's... It, is no, it a no, Dungeons & Dragons thing you know about? Is no, it... it's, it's not a Dungeons & Dragons thing I know about. I think it's just a, a, a way of saying magical light and attributing it to the caster who is the wizard in this case. I feel like you should have said magical light and let us do the heavy lifting that the only person who's somewhat competent doing magic around here is Kessel. Okay. Um, oh, look. Oh, this is where the mirror opened. My mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> I enjoyed that opening mm-hmm. here. It is this um, chapter. Giggling with the uninhibited enthusiasm of children at play. Oh, right. I didn't put a page note on that. I'm like, why did I write that down? That was how the... Uh, the 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 mind wiped harem women were described oh. and it really creeped me out. <laughs> I was like I was like he's just like the 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 girls were or the women were giggling with the uninhibited enthusiasm of children at play and I was like oh god oh, yeah that's oh, especially fuck. creepy like when you because in my head the sound I associate with that description is there's a stock children laughter sound mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. in like lots of movies and lots of commercials and lots of yes. TV shows. And that's what I hear when I describe that. And it's very childlike and it's very creepy to associate that with that with uh, sex objects. Oh, uh, I did not. I just, I, I mean, it just, it was like getting hit in the face of the fish. Didn't care for it. <sighs> I guess I should note. clarify un, uh, unwilling sex objects because unfortunately. Well, sex these... slaves. That's what I believe I said. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, li- I don't feel like there's a good term to refer to these women with because all of them make me feel like I'm the bad guy for referring for for using the language we have to describe them in their situation in the way that they exist. Victims? Victims is, is good. Is that the I mean that might be the best way. I don't know, man. Um well last but not least, let's let's make it a little lighter again. Uh Wizard like Lighter. Just, wizard Lighter. I liked Reed just blowing out the candle. I found that amusing. Yeah, it felt really puffing out that candle that was the crux of everything except i liked oh. it but except for the the mirror doing that is kind of the same thing as what a car was doing that made the lasers worse like if wiggling the flame around made the the angle of the lasers wriggle and move closer to dritz to like burn him then wouldn't blowing them out cause them to also move really quickly in his direction nah. and like cut him in half no nah. You know what would have been cooler is if what? instead of blowing it out, Reed just went like this. 
For the listening audience, Doug licked his thumb and forefinger and pinched an imaginary candle. Yeah, that would have been way cooler. But then wouldn't the lights have, like, squashed into dritzed? No, they did. They, then they would have just extinguished. Because mm. the the it's, it seemed like the thing that was controlling the magic was the shape of the flame. Like, the direction in which the flame goes. So the blowing of it would push it in one direction before extinguishing. I'm sure Regis is a very spitty breather. I'm also sure that he knows everything there is to know about magic. And this book would have ended very weirdly if he had destroyed the hero with an extinguishing of a candle. Well, I liked it. Oh, I, I probably because I, I needed to something it. to like after that last bit. I liked it too. I just wish it would have been slightly different. Sure. All right. Anything more in this chapter? No. Okay. And what is next? <sighs> chapter thirty: The Battle of Icewind Dale. Summary. I actually wrote inside. I did that for you. Okay. That was stage direction. Way to go! Great job. Thanks. Great, great, great shot kid one in a million um yeah 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 um it's been it's been worth the delay has been worth it um <laughs> summary drift appears atop a nearby snow-covered mountain and confronts a car kessel one final time the cowardly wizard flexes and the crystal shard erupts into a sphere of heat and force melting the snow around him so completely that it degrades the structural integrity of the mountain into an avalanche. Kessel is presumed dead, buried beneath the rocks, along with the crystal shard. The rest of the chapter is a prolonged play-by-play of generic fighting that establishes the status of many forgettable characters introduced early in the book. The wizard and his army are no more. First note here, page 318, you don't need to read it. Okay. Did Brunor go to get Caddy Bree as a prize for Wolfgar? Ew. Uh, apparently not, I guess. I apparently, don't know. apparently not, but... What made you think showed, that? When he shows... What? What made you think that? We hadn't seen her for a while, and he's oh. like, I'll be back, and just left in like a, 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 you know, blazing a trail of orc flesh behind him. And everyone's like, where is he going in such a rush? And I'm just like, hmm... And he does go, and he did go to get her and bring her back, but I guess not for Wolfgar. Yeah, thankfully, and he really went to go, like, uh, ensure her safety more than, like, just to retrieve her, because she was left alone up there in the caverns with the trolls. She knew what she was doing. Well, the, the point is, his intentions weren't to bring her back as a prize to be won for the Elf no, King. Or no, she's Elf already King. been won. She's now got to be presented. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying I don't I don't see that. No, I, I clearly I didn't see it either, but I'm saying let's not mix our metaphors. Like, all right, Salvatore. I feel like you've mixed metaphors, and I'm not well, sure that was a simile. we're talking about anymore. You, you're saying you've mixed your metaphors and your similes? No, I'm saying you're mixing metaphors like simile, all right, Salvatore. Okay. Do you have any notes, Doug? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, a lot of battle happens, and then it was over. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm saying it too. Okay. And so do you have any more notes? No, I have no uh, more notes. Then let us continue to... Chapter 31, Victory? Oh, I wrote that right. I wrote 32. Interesting. I just uh, fix that I in my notes because it's super important. Otherwise, nope, we no, need to take no, a break no. while I read some more. No, no, I, I made a mistake. Summary. 
The last chapter concluded with the Battle of Icewind Dale, only for the battle to continue in this chapter. Wolfgar assists the humans in wiping out the remaining goblins and negotiates his way into the Ten Towns Council and secures a place among the townsfolk for his people to make a better life than in the tundra. Dritz finds Regis and Guinevere unharmed in the astral realm before being called to Brunor's battle-strewn deathbed. Dritz comforts his dying friend and promises to help the dwarf find Mithril Hall, the lost city of his people, as the dying as his dying wish to his dearest dwarf friend. Only for Brunor to yell "Psych!" and reveal that the severity of his runes, wounds were a sham to con the elf into the promise of assisting his pilgrimage. I have a note here. I don't even know what it means. Maybe you can help me out. Okay. I enjoyed the maybe raising of the Tin Town Army. The rousing, possibly. Rousing? Rousing. Like the part where, uh, where Wolfgar's like, let us go kill the rest of the goblins. Because if they don't, they'll come and get us. And then the, the Ten Towns people are like, okay. And then they go and do that. Yeah, that doesn't sound very exciting. Okay. I don't do you know like seeing all the, the, the Ten Towns people die? Is that what you're saying? Well, maybe. Maybe it's the raising of the Ten Towns. You know, army. I feel like I read this book, and I don't remember what happened with the people who were on the boats. I mean, I think they come to shore and, like, help out, but, like... It didn't really. Oh, the ones f- who kept fighting over fish and shit. Well, no, the, the people who flee their some of the tin towns to some of the oh. lakes, and then are on the boats in the middle of the lakes, and all the goblins are like, "Yeah, we can't get you from the shore." I think and, I feel like there was a line about them seeing something happening and coming back and joining the fracas. I, there, there is. It's just like, it's just too much going on. There's a there's a lot going on for the payoff. Yeah, I have this. This should have been like the culmination of of. Four books worth of buildup. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't? Yeah, I mean, it is... It's kind of the culmination of one novella about the third of a book's buildup. It is it is the first time Dritz is really part of an epic battle that is really kind of epic. I guess that's true. Like, the he was a part of that first battle in Ten Towns, but, like, even that wasn't as hardcore as the crystal tower that you know shoots a death star laser out at a city and and has a demon (laughs) um so i don't know that if if you want to read your your mythic hero who does crazy cool stuff like that then uh you know here you get it now instead of just the other stuff he did in the other books which was you know fine i guess i don't know it's 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 these books are underwhelming but we're not we're not there yet no we're not there yet you're right um I have a note here on page 328. Okay. Here, Dritz describes seeing thousands of goblins retreating over the mountain, but not one page before had Wolfgar and his forces smote the remaining goblins till not one monster stood alive. So which is it? Why am I confused? I thought there was something earlier about the goblins at the back didn't even know what was going on because there were so many of them. And I, d- I think I just kind of parlayed that into all the goblins on the field of battle were smote while it slowly dawned on the ones at the back. They should get out of there. It but just like it, it it's very confusing. to a huge problem I have with this book, which is that 
everything is too big. Mm-hmm. Like there are too many towns. There's too many goblins. The deeds are so the deeds that are done and the numbers involved in this story are so hyperbolic that they lose all right. meaning. It's like, like it, it it's feels like, like in, a battle for Middle Earth, but it's for this little tiny community. Yeah, exactly. And it and it's uh like you're, when you say Middle Earth, you mean the entirety yeah. of of Middle yes. Earth. Yes, from but the Shire in this one, it's, to Mordor, right, from right. the Grey Havens, the fucking Lonely Mountain. Sure. Um, Mirkwood. The uh, to me, it's like being a, a card game nerd and having not really played this, but from what I understand, like, like I mentioned to you, uh, the Magic: The Gathering recently because it involves a lot of the last set we talked about in this show involves a lot of Dungeons and Dragons characters, including Dritzt and Brunor that we've experienced and, and Icing Death that we've experienced in this book. And I mentioned to you the way like power and toughness works with the characters where you have like, if you have like a one, one, then you're sort of an average human. And if you have a, and, and, and average dragon is like a five, five. So there, you know, like a dragon's five times stronger than one human. Those numbers make sense because they're base 10. Like they start off with that, like maybe sense probably not the word, but they, but they they go off of like a one to 10 scale. Not there's way higher numbers than that, but like you start with one, because that's an easy number to comprehend. A game like Yu-Gi-Oh, as far as I understand, like adds on zeros to those numbers so that you have things that are like in the tens of thousands of power or cost or whatever. And at that point, that number ceases all significance because it's just so high. It's insurmountable. It, or, or that it's it's like, why, if I'm really looking at the math, all I'm really counting are the first three numbers of any one like unit because right. that's what really was related to each other so if you just cut off all those other like zeros you'd have essentially the same number system as like magic has mm-hmm. but i guess you might not be able to because of copyright law but that's sort of the point that's what to me makes that stuff th- that's a huge difference in like the enjoyability of it because it's just it's too big to be realistic so when you have a sequence in this book where Brunor and his dwarves, whose number is ambiguous, spend a brief amount of time silently killing a thousand goblins and orcs silently in a camp large enough to sleep th- many thousands Many thousands, more. right. Because they were like, still overwhelmed after they had killed a thousand. A thousand, exactly. Then it becomes like, these numbers are too large to, for me to give a shit. They... They start to wash over me with insignificance. Right. And that's not good in a book. Like, I don't know how else to explain it, but like that that's a huge problem for me with reading this book and these specific sequences with these battles that are this large. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I don't have any more notes in this chapter. I have no notes in this chapter. Let us more. Let us conclude with Epilogue. Summary. Regis becomes wealthy in the aftermath of the Battle of Ten Towns, or of Icewind Dale, but envies his friends Dritz, Wolfgar, and Brunor as they set off to find Mithril Hall. Soon, however, Regis is confronted with the reality that he's a wanted, nay, a hunted man, and narrowly avoids an assassin before weaseling his way out of the city and into his friend's company once again. So how'd you like getting a little uh catty brie teased and then having it very clearly stated oh she's not gonna be in the next book it just 
It's just, it's more, makes me go, Salvatore, why are you afraid of women? <laughs> or why are you afraid of writing women? Because they are underused and or ill-served in his books. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I just want to get, just get the girls out of here. There's no girls in my book. It's boy book. God. I don't so have at this I, yeah. point. I was just like, of course, right? I, I thought maybe. I mean, it seemed like the perfect, the perfect place to have. Oh, you'll not tell me what to do. I'll come with you, father, dwarf person. And then they would be there, and they'd be grumbling. But I mean, that true grit. It could have been true grit right there. You're not coming with us. Oh, but I am. Okay, cool. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. I I think that obviously I don't have the answers for. Whether or not he is afraid of writing women, um, it, it could be that like the like he could have been his first book and just been absolutely unsure of how to write a woman, so he just didn't. That it's a good point. That's a good point. And up until then, you had the Drow Society, so maybe he thought he was doing right by women because they were powerful and plentiful. Right. And so maybe the fifth book, Caddy Bree will sneak along, and she'll be like, she'll she'll be the she'll come in, you know. Gandalf the White style or Strider, where you're like, who's that shadowy cloaked figure? Hey, Caddy Bree, what? And I, and I, I would be, I personally would be a little disappointed if she turns out to be yet another gruff, you won't tell me what to do character, because I feel like that's most of the characters we have. It's sure and you'll not tell me what to do. Yeah, that. I, I okay. don't, I don't really need another one of those characters. Right. I feel like. Both Wolfgar and Bruno are that character in a lot of ways, even Dritz to some extent. But like, I like the way Caddy Bree's being used in this book in the way that she is the one to basically be like, she's weirdly like wizened for her age and is like running around, like just dropping truth bombs on Wolfgar and mm-hmm. making him go like, ah, well, what, what do you know, girl? And then being like, oh, you know more than me girl well, that's why i think because that seems very uh not hack but certainly what's that word hack is what you said <laughs> no where you tropey okay that's why with those that that feels like a tropey uh prelude to a romance and maybe it is but keep in mind like like ari salvatore has no obligation to be a better writer than he is that's true so that's true <laughs> So like if that if the best he can do is uh, I'll say classical romances, <laughs> uh, cliche, cliche. That's a uh, good version of the word I was looking for. Uh, of you know entanglements, then then perhaps that's the best we deserve. Yeah, he uh, sure sure did what he did. Um, he sure did. I have a feeling she'll be around eventually. Um, who knows when? I think she's absolutely going to be Wolfgar's love interest, for which I'm I prefer to being Dritz's love interest. I I can't see them not doing something where she has to set out to find them for whatever something happened back at town. She has to let them know about, or she understood the the assassin that was after Regis and is out to tell them that he's after them. Something. I think it'd be funny if like the if the next book starts with them basically coming back to 10 towns being like, we couldn't fucking find it. 
<laughs> and then like like it just starts with them being like yeah we walked around for a really long time and we chatted up people in you know taverns like in inns like you're supposed to because this is dungeons and dragons that, we went we yeah. went around we did all of that stuff you'd expect adventurers to do and we didn't find anything we got cold leads all over the place so you know what we're back we're just gonna see what happens and then it would be so funny to me if all of that happens and then they come back and Caterbury's like been like, was like, where were you? I looked through an old book we have and it tells me exactly where Mithril Hall is. Nice. Come on, let's go. And by then it's like five years later. So she's like 25 or whatever. And cause I don't, I don't know how old she is. And then that sounds fine. And then, and then like, then she comes along and she's like, Oh, in the years that you've been gone, I've I've become a real ass kicker. I'm the best at everything now. Check out how I use a, a bow and an arrow. And then they're like, "Wow, Caddy Bree, you're our only ranged fighter. That's great. Thank, welcome to the party." Will she have those like those like barbarian boots with like the rough at the top? No, I think she has the either like boots that have like a like a V cut o- over her shin. Okay, like so like, like, like Wonder like Woman's a, Superman boot. Yeah, so it shows okay. off a little bit of her. Th- uh, shin cleavage and then cleavage and then um or she has like those you know swashbuckling boots that are folded over oh those are the best or she has like knee-high stilettos that are really good for mountain climbing or like maybe not stilettos but like heeled boots so that so like her her you know her ass looks really good when she walks what are you doing mimicking the way the foot shape looks why would that be good for mountain climbing now that is a joke oh oh yes yes i have heard of those it was an insincere uh suggestion (laughs) uh brought brought about to elicit uh humor and it did look at me obvious here i am obvious recognition all you had to do was let me know it was a joke you got your laughter uh why would that be good for mountain climbing? <laughs> Answer, boy. <laughs> Snape the heckler. Boo. <laughs> You're not funny. Yes. <laughs> so, um... <sighs> yeah, um... Alright, well, uh, I don't have any more notes... I don't. I don't have a new word alert. Do I you? got nothing. Should we then do an let's, overview of this book? Then let's talk about an overview of this book. Yeah. And how it fits into the series so far. Dritz chronology. You you go. Do you have anything to say about that? Do I have to say? Um. There are parts I really liked, and there's ideas that I liked and enjoyed, and I really feel had this been what I consider classic fantasy, which is. A quest mm-hmm. um it would have come off so much better but it kind of feels like he's trying to mush i mean clearly he loves tolkien mm-hmm. and it feels like he's mushing the entire lord of the rings into one book because the ten talents to me seems to comprise everything from uh hobbiton to gondor mm-hmm. all in one little community and they're trying to do hit all the big beats and it suffers because of it yeah, it, it it it. I feel like had he taken the tack, the the way Tarantino likes to borrow from movies but still tell his own story, mm-hmm. if he had done that instead of trying to kind of recreate Tolkien, 
the you know the 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 beats and the story arcs i i feel like it would have been a lot better yeah i uh i kind of agree like the there's a lot of problems with this book there's a lot of issues and concerns i have with the way it was written and the way it was like finalized i really wish he had spent a lot less time i said this earlier i just wish he had spent a lot less time making the book larger than it needed to be Mm -hmm. i think that there was just so much unnecessary grandeur and epicness that Mm -hmm. it actually did had the opposite effect of its intention which was to seem epic and in in fact it just seemed childish it seemed like juvenile to to have this kind of unrestrained scale yeah Um, it's like a little kid going it's a million billion yeah yeah i love you 3000 it's like (laughs) of course that means it means nothing because the number's too tall or too large (laughs) so yeah i uh but but i agree that more so in like it's it's sort of the curse of salvatore is to have a handful of really fun and clever like ideas that are lost in books that are too large and too boring to justify seeking out those good parts right but again Um, we're still coming at it from a really weird angle and but we're never going to come at it from a different angle and that's the angle the publishers have decided is the angle they want people to come at it from as we learned there's like you know there's podcasts and stuff that all start with homeland they all start with the same prequel book and lead up through a crystal shard as opposed to reading these things in the publication order, which it would be a completely different thing, I think. I'm just saying perhaps a young R.A. Salvatore will grow as a writer, excluding his inability to write prequels, and maybe book five will be better, and book 20 th- will be better still. <laughs> I th- But I think that the publication order went book four much like Star Wars, went book four, book five, book six, book one, book two, book three. So I think we may have read, we may have already read his most advanced book in these two trilogies. His most his most uh, experienced book already. I'm saying there's a possibility the next book could be Empire, and it'll be glorious. There is an entire possibility of that. It's true. And there's an entire possibility that it's... It's it's that it, it, Salvatore suffers from the inability to write prequels, but not adventure stories. This one, this mm. this next book does feel like it's setting itself to be a quest. They are they are questing for a thing. Fingers crossed. It is it is dwarven related. It's going to be Mines of Moria. It's it's going to be possibly everything we want it to be. I want it. I want. I here's all I want from the next book. Okay. I want it to be crawl when I was seven. That's a very specific thing. It could, I could all, I will also allow for Dragon Slayer or Beastmaster. Remember, could be any when, one of those three when I was seven years old. Remember when we watched Crawl Eye for my first time in You and Your Cap, and you, and it was just not very good. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> that's why I wanted to be as good as it was the first time I saw it when I was seven and I was still new. So what you want is to feel the excitement you felt when something was exciting and new. Yes. And you, that's, I'm, I get, I'm just saying that's a lot to put on a fantasy book. Yes. And I expect it from R.A. Salvatore. Well, that, I, I think that those are 
setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> because I've all I've well, I've already tried going in blind, and that failed me. I well, I've also I've seen both Krull and Beastmaster for the first time at a much more advanced age than seven, and I can tell you, you you can see through the glamour the older you get. Right. That's so, what I'm saying. I don't I, want... No, I'm saying you probably will not have this experience and you should prepare yourself for that reality. No, no. Okay. I will also accept uh, the last unicorn at any time, any age. I don't think it's going to be like that either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's a question for you. Do you think there will be the essence of a trilogy to the next two books in relation to this book? Or is it going to be more of that Star Wars thing where... This was a self-contained movie. Oh, shit, I got picked up for two more. I better recreate a Death Star. My theory is that Salvatore, I think, set out to write a trilogy about four heroes and wanted and one of which would be the the like primary hero who would find his way through supporting his friends. But each of his friends would get their own spotlight in in essentially one book. Okay. So, so this like, was I, Wolfgar's book. I think this was Wolfgar's book. Okay. And I think next next book is going to be uh, Brunor's Brunor, book, right? And then I think the hell. yep. And then I think the next book's going to be Regis's book. Okay. But there's but beyond that, beyond that relationship, which if that's the emotional heart of this trilogy, that's great if he can pull it off. Right. That's that's kind of a big ask. Um, but there's nothing else linking it cohesively as a trilogy. Like, do you think we've seen the last of the Crystal Shard? Uh, in this trilogy? In this trilogy. In this trilogy. Oh, Obviously, um, it could be dug up as like a, hey, suckers, I'm back in book 18. Of course. But, I, I, th- I think we have. I think that in terms of the way this trilogy is going to shake out, I think the Crystal Shard is buried under that mountain. So it's not going to be a one ring for the trilogy? No. Okay. I, I think that long term, these first six books are about founding a party. founding an adventuring party and really like going through the adventures that make you a party as opposed to just a collection of adventurers who are friends. But they like, I think he really wants to put, I think that's a fun thing you can do in D and D is you can spotlight one character and let them go on an adventure about their character and establish who they are and go through their hero's journey. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what he's doing is he's giving each one of these characters, their own epic hero's journey in each of their own, saying that it sounds like I'm trying to discount that each of the other characters get little adventures in the books because he does a good job of balancing out action. No, but for, there's still a, a, a narrative thrust and it's Wolfgar's in this. Clearly Wolfgar is the, is the main arc of this book. Like yeah. it's, it's Wolfgar and getting Dritz and Brunor and Wolfgar out of this area. Um, and then that actually would adventures. answer a question or an, I, I, I think that's been nagging me. Um, it had up until you said that felt to me that the, the book, the prequel book should have gone Dritz escaping from Menzo Baron's end. If we absolutely have to book one, the end mm-hmm. book two should have been meeting Brunor and Caddy Bree mm. book three should have been Regis. And then this book could have been Wolfgar story as it played out. Mm-hmm. But if what you're saying is true and it's starting to feel like it is and book five is Brunor's story we're going to get a lot of that in book five Mm. and then he had this like gap because he'd already written it 
in book five and six for Bruno and Regis. Now he's got these three books he's got to fill for the prequel, and that makes a lot more sense. Well, especially when all three of those are all all about Dritz, because especially if you finish the trilogy and Dritz hasn't had his own solo adventure, and mm-hmm. that's what the audience wants, how do you fill that void? Make three? I guess, but man, it, I feel like it could have gone that, you know, the fugitive Incredible Hulk route, which they did a little bit, but he could have just been going from town to town playing the Lonely Man theme and like putting mm-hmm. things right that once went wrong mm-hmm. and hoping each time that his next quest would be the quest of Tin Towns. Yeah, well, especially how like he already encounters friends in the first couple of books that he like has adventure with. He he has his own like adventuring party essentially like I mean, there's, they're clearly stand-ins for what inc- for what comes later right but like it's it's just so strange like that yeah. like this character because in this book I don't think there's any mention of those characters almost at all I don't no. I don't I don't other I, than other than his sister trying to bang him that was yeah. about the the biggest reference we got to shit that happened in the past the shit that actually happened in the it past actually opposed, happened yes as opposed to shit that he insists happens that we have not experienced right. Because there, there was also the whole like, oh, they we the elf the drow slew all those elves in their village thing. That he talks he, he talks about other things, but it's still like, he, I don't remember him being like talking too much about specifically naming. Fucking what's the name of that guy whose name Dritz will never forget that he did. Forget. <laughs> um, the guy with the hands, right? Old 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 Nomi Hammerclaw. Nomi Hammerclaw. I like Nomi Hammer. It's, an, it's like it's like Bubble Snarf or something like that. It's it's something it's some weird fucking. But Nomi Hammerclaw was the clear stand-in for for Brunor. For Brunor, yeah. Well, yeah. also because I'm pretty sure his name actually starts with a B too. Mm-hmm. It's killing me. I really I really wish I remember this. I remember Clacker. I remember that name because it was so weird. I, um, yeah, I guess he was supposed to be like a Regis transmogrified. Yes, I think he's just supposed to be like a monster. <laughs> just just a just a hulking not going to be helpful monster Blingdenstone. Blingdenstone was the city damn it literally no way to find out okay i'm looking it up i can't handle it anymore (laughs) what uh from about an hour ago um my wife sent me a text saying did you just do a gizmo impression or is there a mogwai in the house (laughs) bye pearly Belwar. Belwar Dizengulp. Nomi Hammerclaw. Yeah, clearly stand-ins and all that jazz and etc. etc. Uh, and then eventually, you know, uh he runs into Mushi. His Obi-Wan. His Obi-Wan, and he has his adventures with him, and then like it's just it, I could have skipped it. Yeah, I mean it just like honestly, like it 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 probably should have been what it may have been intended to be which was nothing more than like excess if you if you really want more Dritz content here it is yeah. if you don't care but call them negative 3 negative 2 and negative 1 <laughs> don't call them <laughs> 1 2 and 3 and make people right. read them first or or give them slap them with a big like label up front that says BT dubs is prequel only read if you like crystal shard through halfling's gem like i don't know man who i don't know it's whatever um yeah so that's uh 
that's the review of that book. I'm hopeful of the next book because again, it should, I, I don't like origin stories uh, in general. And I feel like we've had four books of origin stories. I'm really hoping that the next book is just pure fun and fantasy and excitement and no more of this. Uh, this army from this direction attacks this way and thousands of goblins die. And then the thousands of ships that are on the lake are also watching and deciding that it's still, still too risky for them to come to shore to join the battle. But from the Southeast, a prevailing wind, like, and then just like, I don't fucking care. I'm over it. <laughs> no, just I stop know. Already. Absolutely. And I'm hopeful that that doesn't happen. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also really apprehensive of this being way too much like the Mines of Maria. And if that's the case, I'm going to have some problems with it, I guess. Sure. That's but fair. Because like, essentially we're going back underground. We're going back underground, but also like it's a bit much to be like we're going back underground in search of a dwarven city that's been long lost to dwarves. What, well, what the fuck does that sound like? We've already had one tower. Technically, we've had three. But do you think there'll be another tower in Regis's book? I don't like, know, man. Maybe. Baradur style? Maybe. I. I, I don't I don't see it needing to happen because we've already had he already made his second tower and a sure. third like you mentioned so he doesn't need to hit that. But that was again. all one guy. I mean, basically, you know, the the two well, towers. So was Sauron and that's what well, that's what I'm saying. Isengard was Saruman's and Baradur was Sauron's. Right, two, but two antagonists. Well, each had a tower. That... We've had we've had three towers, but one antagonist. So I feel like calling Sau Saruman a an independent antagonist is not entirely well, accurate as much as Kessel was but Kessel had no larger master like except the shard itself maybe right but but, like, again, but this has to be told it's never going to be a one-one comparison it's he's he's got to change it enough so he feels like he's writing something I think he already new. does feel like I, that's my guess is I think he's already feels like he's done that I'm just saying I would not be surprised if there's a tower that figures prominently in the well, third if book. that's what you wanted to say you should have just said that outright uh, Instead of asking me to say it for you. I'm not asking you to say it for me. I wanted to hear your thoughts because I ascribed them more fortitude than had previously hitherto been unnecessarily worded. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I think that, again, like, and I don't remember what it, it's not Moria, but the one that the hobbits go to in The Hobbit, the, the, the dwarven city there is. Uh... The one Smaug took over? Yeah. Under the Lonely Mountain. I don't remember the dwarven name. But that's what this kind of feels like. It's like, oh, I've lost my old dwarven home. We got to go find it. We got a quest for my dwarven home. Sure, but there was there was that um, feeling to Moria, too, because the dwarves were driven out. No, the, well, the dwarves, no, the dwarves, no. They thought the dwarves were, that, the reason. You're right, no, you're Gimli, right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, okay. The, the reason when Gimli showed up, he thought there, they were all going to be there. Yes, and they're all dead and had long been dead, which was the surprising thing about, like, because they had cobwebs on them and shit, like, were rotted and old, and, like, it was... How could that How could that shit have dried up? The communications from that town dried up, and Gandalf knew about it, but... Gandalf didn't know. Oh, Gandalf knew. There's that whole scene in the movie, at least, where Saruman's talking over the uh, Pass of Karathras, and uh, the avalanche is happening, they're like, we have to turn back, and you hear Saruman... You know, talking like, you know, Gandalf, that the dwarves oh. delve too deep. And they show Gandalf's face when, when he's like, let the halfling decide. He's like, we go through the mines. And Gandalf's like, ah, fuck. Okay, okay. You're, you're right. See, I thought he just knew that, like, dwarves suck. 
No, it just I just find it. I mean, if we're let's talk about Tolkien's bullshit. Well, we well okay. I just, I just find it bullshit that John Rhys D- Davies Dwarf didn't know what was going down with Moria. What was his name? I can't think of his name. Really? You can't think yeah, of Gim- Gimli, Gimli, son of Gloin? Yeah, I couldn't. There's too many fucking dwarves, man. There's too many fucking dwarf names in those books. I mean, if you, if you don't if you don't know them, I guess there's too many. Look, I I got Karathras. I was happy with that. What do you want from me? I mean, maybe to remember Gimli's name. Why? He's... What has Gimli ever done for me? I mean, probably a lot if you think Roll about it. Roll his R's? Yeah. And they call it a mine. A mine! <laughs> uh, he he's he'll willfully be tossed. He yeah. he 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 provides his axe. Uh, Only he, after uh, a bow and a sword have been provided. He he uh, that only counts as one. Oh. He does a lot. I I I don't care for Gimli. There, I really? said it. I wow. don't care for Gimli. Yeah. Jeez, shots fired. I th- I think Gimli's great. So I I just am. It's fine. It's fine. We don't have great. to agree on this. No, we don't. No, more Gimli for me. Great. I was trying to see if I had if I had within eyesight my my Lego Gimli on on a uh, on a, one of my my Lego pirate ships that I could pull down and just and just have it shown at you. But mm-hmm. I, I I I can see Thorin, <laughs> but uh, I can't see Gimli. Anyway, um, isn't it weird that Thorin fought a great red dragon and then became the great red dragon? Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Think about it. Okay. okay you, can, you can stop thinking about it now. Um, so I, I think that uh, I, I get, though, like why this book was successful um, in terms of being a fantasy book that hits a lot of the fun Dungeons and Dragons stuff. I don't think it's a complete failure mm-hmm. as, a, as, as an adventure book or as a high fantasy book. Um, it is it establishes enough and, and, and like help support an interesting enough world that I I'm trying to imagine would I give the second book a shot having read this book and I think I would, but I think I would also do it like we're like we're experiencing it and go, there's going to be a whole lot of this next book. That's going to be rough. Just too much. Yeah. Um, Would you, would you, would you give the book a shot if you had bought this book new and new, and it was like another year before the next one came out and you saw it in the bookstore and went, Oh, right. Or would you give it a shot if you were like at a B and B and you read this book and then you looked at the shelf and there was a second one. You're like, sure. Oh, no, not that way. Probably the first way. Really? Yeah. Because like if, if I I mean, if it came like imagining like if in 1989, what else am I doing? Watching Cheers? Like, oh, no, yeah, you're, I, you, you're still you now. You're just trapped in the past reading this book for the first time. Oh. Maybe there's no Internet. I could probably do a lot of things with my time Dude. that like so much insider trading. By all the apple, you're missing. You're 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 going off on a tangent about time travel with with future knowledge that is. I don't want to be Biff. Okay, I just want to. No, because you're you're not coming back to 
to the present or the future, your future, our present currently, to use knowledge you gleaned in the past. That doesn't even make fucking sense, first of all. Um, you are stuck in 1989, and you need to make a life for yourself. So you might as well use your knowledge to grow your vast empire. But the question was about would I read the books. Oh, right. That's a good <laughs> So... Regardless of the advantages of using future knowledge to build your own vast wealth, sure, seems reasonable to uh, have not read the book if I was in an Airbnb or just a and b and it was available versus if I read it and time passed slower because there was no internet, I would probably have the time and the patience to read a fantasy novels sequel that came out a year later. And you know what? Time would move so slowly. I would probably reread the first one and then read the second one after it came out. I just imagine the peace (laughs) of living in a world without the internet. It seems like a tranquil time. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't, but like it just seems like it. I don't think you were forced to react to quite so many things on a daily basis. No, you weren't. Definitely less exhausting. That does sound nice. Yeah, man. Like you could, you could, you go see Batman. Say the summer of '89 after you finished, you know, the Crystal Shard. You just talk about it for a week. Maybe go see it again. See it a bunch, dude. You could see it so often because what else are you going to do? Prince was still alive. You could listen to Bat Dance all you wanted. I mean, you can do that now, and he's but he's dead. So right. Anyway, so you couldn't we're listen here to, to talk Bat about... Dance while Prince is alive right now. Uh, I mean, this is just logic, man. It's just it's. Uh, <laughs> I just don't see the significance of listening to music being enhanced by. The, the performer being alive. I didn't say it was enhanced. I just said that you could. Then why would you want to do it? Why, why would you I didn't want say you to would do want it? To. I'm saying this is a thing you could do. But why would you bring it up as a thing you could do? Because those variables all? would be in place in 1989. And why is that significant? Because you could do it. But why did you bring it up? <laughs> you could have picked any dead musician with any music. Why did? Why that? Oh, because thing? it's the Batman soundtrack. But like I said, why why emphasize that the, the thing that's different is that Prince is dead now and make that significant? Why? Because you could listen to it and go, eh, he's probably kicking it in Minnesota right now. Nice. Yeah. That enhances I, okay, music so, for you. So, okay, it doesn't because I don't care. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all you had to say. Because so, <laughs> cause believe me, I had a, I, I, believe it or not, I lived quite a while while Prince was alive. Sure. Didn't mean anything to me. Oh. Didn't change much for me. Uh, there was a song that I heard a lot when I was 12 that was really annoying uh, by Prince. And so it kind of like colored the rest of my interest in Prince for the rest of my life. What song? Uh, 1999. Oh. Huh. I mean, if you're going to let a song have power over you, man, whatever. I mean, yeah, you could say that. But like if you were in Guantanamo Bay and they were playing like Come On Feel The Noise Oh, at full sweet. blast all day every day it would probably get to you and you probably wouldn't sit there going like hey man if you're gonna let that music have power over you and Girls, that's the rock your boys. that's that's the essentially the equivalent to how often 1999 was played in 1999 look i'm not saying i don't have those songs but they're not quite right fine it, it's it's 
1999 is. <laughs> it is absolutely one of those songs. Then I will try to be more sensitive <laughs> for you. Download Listen, you just had to bring up 19, Prince. You just had to bring up Prince. Sorry. Anyway, let's conclude the episode by letting everybody know that the next book we're reading in the next episode is R.A. Salvatore's The Legend of Dritz, Book 5, The uh, Streams of Silver. And we will be reading the... This is the sort of the trouble with this next this next book, is that it's much larger. Oh, no. Well, it's like, it's like 30 or so pages larger. No! Which adds quite a bit to our hope of getting it done in four episodes. It would we be like... St- a, oh, come on. We could do it. We'll have one I have, big episode. No, no, no. I don't think you understand. I don't want to. <laughs> it has been very hard to read the amount we've been reading in the way I've been having time to read it okay. this time. So, like, I don't want four more weeks of trying to read a hundred pages in one of R.A. Salvatore's books. Fair enough. Um, and I think I that, that minimizing that to a mere 75 pages is what we're going to have to do. So, okay, so what are we reading? We're reading chapters, uh, chapters beginning of the book through chapter four. Meaning not five. Meaning... Not five. So there will be a prelude and a part one, mm. and then the book starts. So read through everything through chapter four, and then stop. Okay. Okay, well, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Are you recording? Recording. (sighs) Screwball. Because I was already recording. That means you're the screwball. If you want to be hurtful, man, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. You think that's hurtful? Try screwing your own ball. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we'll never hear the light of day? It's being recorded, so I assume it will. You also can't hear light, Doug. I don't think that's true. Mark Singer can hear light. This is an important. That's an old <laughs> joke. Okay. That's from the before times. Is that like? Okay. Um, let's because Mark Singer was in a film called "If You now, Could See What now. I Hear" about or a famous blind this, maybe like this, runner. This show, I'm not sure. We should do this show. Um, because we are starting so late. <laughs> I mean, I didn't start so late. Everyone else did. Sure. So okay. now, though, you, you are keeping. Now you are the one keeping the show back, so you're going to take all the responsibility hey, for it. You're going to take no, all the responsibility for everything up to I'm this point. I'm saying let's do it. Then I agree let me with do you. It. Let me do it. I'm l- do it. All right. Here we go. Please begin. Start that money maker. Oh, right. <clears throat> Chapter 27. The Cloak of Doom. The clock of boom. What? <laughs> Maybe I can't read my handwriting. Ah, no on. one will notice. <laughs> Shut up. <clears throat> Chap- mm. <laughs> Shut up.
<laughs> eh, serious. Chapter 27, The Clock of Doom. 